Well, after this morning and the reminder of how greatly we have been forgiven and what that means, I felt constrained really to return to the cross tonight and a very familiar passage. But there is a sense, as I mentioned before, we read from Galatians, that our Christian lives, we never go further than the cross. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross. And there are times, dear friends, where we lose sight of that. And in our daily walk and our ongoing struggles, we can lose sight of the cross of the Lord Jesus and all that it really means, not only in salvation, but also what it means with regards to the way that we should live. And we so much need a greater appreciation and understanding of Calvary. And it is interesting, when you come to this letter to the Galatians, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Paul pens these stunning words about the cross. And in fact, he begins the letter with the cross and he ends the letter with the cross. And he focuses on the death of the Son of God, our precious Saviour. And bringing this direct and challenging letter to the church at Galatia to a close, you can sense his heart. You can sense the urgency and the love that he has for them because so many of them have lost sight of the cross. So many of them are being sidetracked and pulled away from what should be the central thing. And he knew many of them. Many of them have been converted under his ministry. But the threat of false teachers and their error was sweeping into the church. And it was having an impact. It was causing difficulty. It was undermining the work. And these false teachers, they were adding to the gospel and insisting that true blessing came from returning to submission to the old Jewish law. So Christ plus something else. And increasingly in recent times, you will find that in much that is taking place, there is uh, an increasing element of Christ plus something else. And it comes in many different guises. And we need to be aware of that. And there are uh, various ways that that is beginning to infiltrate into the life of the church. And Paul, as he does in many of his letters, he hits this error head on. And as he draws all the teaching together, he reminds these believers of the church of Galatia, he reminds us that we must never Never deviate from the cross of Christ. We must never lose sight of it. And in this, he reminds them and us of the vital truths of what the gospel actually is, what it means to know salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And we see that in this text in Galatians 6.14, and in the verses around it, Paul stresses the seriousness of life. He stresses that life is serious, that life in this world is brief that it is passing, that it is short. And so purpose and meaning and eternity isn't to be shrugged off. It isn't to be taken lightly or in a, a haphazard type of way. You know, if you look back at verses 7 to 8, he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so life, in that terms, is, is bound up in what we sow and what we reap. And the Bible makes it clear that what a man sows, he shall reap. It's, it's obvious. And we know that the attitude of many in the world has sought to destroy any absolutes in the realm of truth. 
We've seen that over many, many, many years, and really we are now beginning to see the full fruition of that, the destruction of absolutes. And so when it comes to truth or law or any of those things, it has now become your truth, what you see as true, what your perspective is, all subjective. But the Bible says there are absolutes, that there are certain moral laws which are binding because the Creator has set them in place, and there is accountability. People want to live as though there is no accountability. That's true within the church as well. And there'll be a a final reckoning, there'll be a final judgment, as well as those, as we saw this morning, on the way. Each of us will be required to give account to the Holy God of the deeds done in the body. And so life in this world is a a serious matter for us to consider, and what happens now will impact our eternity. We need to be aware of that. As one has said, it is the most serious thing conceivable because what we get in this life and what we will get through all eternity depends upon whether we sow to the flesh or whether we sow to the Spirit. So the question is obvious, isn't it? How do we sow to the Spirit? What is Paul speaking of? What does that mean? How do I live in a manner that brings the the blessing of peace and joy in this world and in the world to come forever? Well, again, the false teachers, they had really brought great confusion. It was as though they brought this fog over the truth so that people couldn't get to the truth, couldn't see to the truth, and the, the gospel was under threat. You know, it's no different. You know, even in this past week, many claim to speak in the name of Christ. Some of the things that uh, have come out and, and been shown, just heartbreaking what people claim in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So far away from the truth of the word of God. Many competing voices claiming to have insight that, that they're the true church, but so much contradiction and error and all manner of things that are not the gospel. And so how can we know what is the true message, what is false? Well, thank God for his word. That's always where we must be because it's in his word that we can rest and know what is right and good and eternally true. Everything has to be tested by the scriptures. And so Paul brings the Galatians back to that central point. He brings them back to the cross. That's what we need, friends, to be ever brought back to the cross, to that deeper appreciation of what Jesus did at Calvary. And we need to never lose sight of what the message is. What are we proclaiming? What is the message? What what does the gospel proclaim? What does it say to us? How can a, a person be right with God? How can they live pleasing to him? How do we sow to the spirit? How can we reap eternal life? Surely we want to know that. You know, if you're here tonight and, you know, maybe you're outside of Christ, you know, what are you living for? What is your purpose What have I got to do in this life that will bring eternal blessing? What gives us confidence in the face of trials, in the face of death? You know, things have been hard. Many of us have been going through hard times and struggles. What what keeps us going in adversity? Where do we look? What will give us confidence in the great judgment that is to come? What guarantees eternal glory? Well, Paul gives us the answer. It's so clear we don't need to be confused. He says, God forbid that I should boast, that I should glory. He says, it is utterly unthinkable that I should glory in anything else except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's it. That is the center, that is the heart of the message, the one message, the preaching of the cross, what our Savior has done. That's what Paul always preached. It's what the apostles preached. And if we're ever in doubt about that, we just go back to the Scriptures and allow them to speak for themselves, set aside all those other human voices, allow the Word of God to speak. You know, you think on the preaching of the apostles, how they were emphasizing, you know, this is not just our ideas. You know, we're not just bringing our own opinions and our thoughts. They were proclaiming the message given to them by the Lord. The preaching of the cross wasn't popular. It wasn't popular then. It isn't popular now. The preaching of the cross, a stumbling block and, and foolishness, stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Greeks. But what Paul points out, he says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these will compel you to be circumcised. This is verse 12 only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. In other words, we'll just come away from the cross because it's actually quite difficult to proclaim. We don't want to run into difficulty because to preach the cross is to look towards persecution. Earlier in Galatians, Paul had spoken of the offense of the cross. And one of the reasons for the weakness of the churches is because they want to remove offense want to take it away because they know people don't want to hear the message. The world would much rather hear something more palatable. But the reality is, dear friends, this is the gospel of God. And it's not up to us. And regardless of popularity or perceived success, this is the thing that the apostles are given to preach, and they did proclaim it in the demonstration of the power of the Spirit. They preach the message regardless of the consequences, even though it might mean death, because they kept their eyes focused on the cross. And they wanted to please the one that they loved and served. Nothing more important for us to know this night than the fact that the cross of Jesus Christ is still the center of the message. And let me clarify this by suggesting to you some things that the gospel is not. The gospel is not primarily the teaching of Jesus. You know, it's a familiar misunderstanding. There are many who think that this alone is the gospel. You know, when we're in Matthew, we've been in Matthew now, and uh, the series there, and Sermon on the Mount, and we mentioned that there are those who say, on the, oh, well, you know, we just got to live by the Sermon on the Mount. That's what the world needs today. Just a, a, a dose of some good moral teaching, Christ's ethical teaching. That'll change things. Well, that's impossible. You see, Christ's teaching there shows the standard for those who are born again. Those who are saved by grace and drawn to be part of the kingdom. But the, the man in the street, the, the normal man, it only condemns them. Because they can't ever live like that. They can't live like that in their own strength and ability. And so, in that sense, there's no good news if you go to someone and say, well, live the Sermon on the Mount. There's no good news there at all. And the apostles didn't preach that. Paul doesn't say, God forbid, that I should boast except in the Sermon on the Mount. The gospel is not primarily the teaching of Jesus. Also, the gospel is not primarily the example of Jesus. Again, you know, you hear people talk about that. I had a conversation with someone the other week. Or, you know, read the gospels. Or see how Jesus lived. That's the way that we ought to, to live. Well, in, in a measure, that's right. 
But, but let's resolve to do that in our own strength. Let's decide to do that. Let's be imitators of Christ. Well, again, that's impossible. There's no good news there for one who's not been born again. That's not the center of the message. It, it comes into it, you know, to be saved, to have a new life, new creation will mean a changed life. But it's not the thing that the apostles preached initially. More importantly, it wasn't the way that our Lord Jesus taught himself. The apostles preached his death. Christ preached the necessity of his own sacrificial death. Again, if you're not sure, go back to the word. Test these things. See that the cross is central. You know, let me remind you again, Matthew 16. Who do men say that I am? Jesus says. Various answers come in. Peter comes forward. Incredible declaration. You are the Christ, son of the living God. The Lord blesses Peter. We know, don't we? And that's the truth upon which the church is going to be built, that great declaration. But then, verse 21, Matthew 16, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed. Be raised the third day. What's the reaction from the disciples? Well, Peter rebukes him. Of course, we know the Lord then rebukes him, get behind me, Satan. But the point is this, after the great confession of Peter as Christ being the Son of God, the Lord immediately points them to his death, immediately to the cross, and they can't take it. And our Lord challenges them, saying, in effect, you don't understand. You think that the fact that I'm the Son of God is the thing that's going to save you, but it's not. It's what I'm going to do. You know, and these things are there, and you can see it in his teaching. You think on the Last Supper, he arranged it. He told them exactly what they were to do. And in the midst of the supper, he broke the bread and said it was his body. He poured out the wine and said it was his blood. And he gave the clear teaching of Savior that his body was to be broken, his blood was to be shed, all pointing to his death. You know, you could even think about the Mount of Transfiguration. The Lord Jesus went up on the mountain, glorious transformation. And do you remember what we said? When Moses and Elijah were there, what did they speak about? They spoke about his exodus, his death. You know, he set his face steadfastly towards Jerusalem, even though he knew what awaited him there. And you can see it throughout the Gospels. You can see also when it comes to recording his death. The details of his death, so graphic, taking us to Calvary. Why? Because the cross is the pivotal work of the Savior. It's the heart of the message. You know, you go into the New Testament, you think of Acts 13. Paul preaches to the people of Antioch, and he details the death and resurrection of Jesus. And at the dynamic conclusion of his message, he applies this saying that it's through this man, through his saving work that salvation comes. Acts 17, then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and to rise again from the dead and say, this is Jesus, whom I preach to you, he is the Christ. That was the manner of Paul's preaching everywhere. Romans 3, verses 24 to 25, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. The blood of the cross. 
Romans 5, when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a wonderful statement. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You know, he keep going on through the epistles, through the New Testament, the theme of the cross, even to the very final book in the word of God, Revelation, the letters to the seven churches, Revelation 1, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through the whole of the scriptures. And how dare those who would pour scorn upon the blood of Christ, who say the cross doesn't matter, who want to set the cross to the side, how dare they when it is such an emphasis, when it is the central part, when it is there in the word of God. Throughout the scriptures, the proclamation of the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, the very heart of salvation. And we must not be in any doubt about that. And we must not doubt the message. We must not doubt its power. And you say, well, why does Paul then glory in the cross? Well, he glories in the cross because it is by the cross we are saved. It is the cross that accomplishes that which sets us free. The death of Christ, we know it's no accident. It's not the great tragedy of all time, nor was it something for us to imitate. It's none of those things. The cross is not to be regretted. It's not something to be hidden or something to be explained away. It is the central focus. And Paul says it must be set at the forefront and continually so. That's why he says in Galatians 3.1, as he's dealing with the issues that have arisen, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. He'd set Christ before them because it's this which saves. That's the gospel. And so we don't forget the cross. We don't marginalize the cross. We don't turn it into something beautiful. We glory in it. And Paul preaches this. And it's what we must proclaim because it's the thing that saves. You know, if the Lord Jesus had not poured himself out in death upon the cross, nobody would ever have been saved. There would be no gospel. That's why the apostle glories in it. You know, he began the letter, I said that he began the letter in that vein. Galatians 1 verses 3 to 4. Grace to you, peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. And so he concludes in the same manner, always pointing to the cross. Doesn't ask us to save ourselves. It doesn't tell us to do something that will save us. It says that the work has been done, once and forever done. That is the gospel's glorious. You say, well, how does the cross save us? Well, any man who is truly saved is saved by the work of Jesus on the cross, sins forgiven, reconciled to God, 
You're made a child of God and you know what it is to know God and to be blessed by him. You have no fear of death or the grave or judgment. You know that your course is for glory. But how does it save? Well, friends, you consider Calvary for a moment. You consider that place just outside Jerusalem. And you consider those three crosses and who is in the middle? Who is he? Who is the person in the middle nailed to the cross? It's our Lord Jesus Christ. And there he hangs, the Son of God, in human flesh. And you can see a man hanging there. But who is he? He's a carpenter from Nazareth. He's the one who preached with authority. He was an extraordinary prophet. And the people said he, he worked great miracles, a remarkable man. But who is he? He's the Lord. He's fully man, and yet he's also fully God. He's the Son of God, the Lord of glory, the eternal Son. The second person of the blessed Holy Trinity, God the Son. And you say, well, if he's God the Son, why is he on the cross? If he's the eternal Son of God who's come out of eternity into time and taken to himself human nature and human frame, why is he on the cross? Why has he died? Well, here is the truth of the Word of God. He came to die. He came to die. His disciples didn't understand it. They did their utmost to dissuade him. But he knew he was steadfast. He set his face. Even when he was surrounded by enemies in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples asked if they should get weapons to defend themselves. One would even strike the ear of a high priest servant, but he rebukes them and says, don't you think that I could pray to my father and that he would give me more than 12 legions of angels? He challenges them. He says, don't you think that if I wanted to get out of this world without the death of the cross, that I could pray and the hosts of heaven would appear? But he says, if I do that, how can I fulfill righteousness? How can I do the work that the Father has sent me to do? He'd come to die. And the Son of God is there dying on the cross because he came from heaven in this world to die. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. The cross is the outworking of the eternal plan. And the scriptures tell us from beginning to end, it's because you and I are guilty and under the condemnation of a holy God, and he came to deliver us from a world that is doomed to disaster. We belong to the world. We're born in the world. We will bear the world's fate unless we are delivered. All of sin whether respectable or not, whether Jew or Gentile, all have come short of the glory of God. Maybe you say, oh, well, God is love. You know, why, why couldn't he forgive me? You know, if, if I'm, you know, sorry for those things I've done. Well, God is just. He's holy. He's righteous. And we struggle to understand holiness. How can we, with our finite minds, fathom the eternal and perfect purity of God? And that's why men just ignore the cross. Because they don't have any understanding of who God is. They don't understand that God is holy. That he cannot look in sin, but he sees it and he must punish it. He, his own holy nature burns against sin. And that's the problem. Man is a guilty sinner and God is a holy God. How can this be dealt with? How can it be solved? How can this issue be sorted out? How can the two be brought together? The cross of Jesus. And here it is very simply. The wages of sin is death. God has pronounced it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. 
You find all the details in the Old Testament, all those animal sacrifices, all pointing the God-ordained means through which blood must be shed. And as they laid hands on the animal, it was as if they were transferring their sin onto it. The animal was slain and the blood was offered. And they took a lamb without blemish and killed it and offered the blood. But for all the sacrifices, they had to be repeated. All the bloods of bulls and goats could never fully atone. And then Jesus, the Son of God, appears. Why? Because he is the ultimate provision. He is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. We know these things, friends, and yet we treat them so often so lightly. The Son of God, the Lamb of God, all the types and the shadows pointing to him. God provides his own sacrifice, and it is Jesus the Lamb of God, and on the cross, God takes our sin and puts them on Jesus, his own son, and he smote him and punished him and struck him and killed him. The wages of sin is death. That is what happens at the cross. God was laying the sin of his people upon his son and he pays the price for us. He is our substitute. And God gave his son and Jesus willingly went to the cross to redeem us. To redeem sinners like you and me. He took the punishment that we deserve. He surrendered himself that we might be forgiven. We know those words. We know that truth. And yet why does it fail to move us as it should? God forbid that I should boast except in the cross. You know, that is the gospel, 1 Peter 2, 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. That's why it happened. That's why the apostle gloried in it. He saves us. He bears our punishment. He takes our guilt upon himself. And the Lord is satisfied. God's wrath is poured out upon him and found in him and washed in his blood. We are free. We are forgiven. We are reconciled. We are no longer under condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful thing tonight to know that you are no longer under condemnation, but you are reconciled and you have a stunning certain hope. And you know, with this gospel, what must we do with it? Well, we have to believe it. We have to believe it, not just in that initial moment when we're saved, but we need to continue to believe and to have confidence. Transforms the way that we live. And we need to continue to keep the cross before us. Makes all the difference in this life and the next. Acts 13, therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Our Savior is not just one option amongst many. Our Savior is the only Savior the only way in which a person can be saved. And friend, you know, tonight maybe you're here. It doesn't matter what you have been. The most important thing to every one of you is that you're a sinner. And no one is exempt. And you know, I don't care 
for the catalogue of your sins that you may bring with you, from the baggage that may be yours, you know, or what they are. They may be respectable. They may be vile. But that doesn't matter, thank God. Because I have the authority on the word of God to tell you that though you be the very worst sinner, that though you may have lived your life until this moment in utter darkness, through this man, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. And by him all who believe are at that moment justified entirely and completely. And if you believe that this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he died there on the cross for your sin, to bear your punishment, if you believe that, if you trust him, if you turn from your sin, cast yourself upon him, rely utterly upon him and what he has done for you, you will be forgiven for time and for eternity. And you will be safe in Christ. And it's all of his grace. And that's the gospel that we are to proclaim. And there's nothing like it. It is the Lord that saves us by dying on the cross. And it is the power to save all who will come to him. And that's by which we live day by day. We keep looking to the cross. We keep reminding ourselves, this is not of us. It's of God. And the work that he has begun in us, he will bring through to completion. And when we go on and when we face the difficulties and the trials in our life and when we lose sight, when we're brought back to see the reality of Calvary, we see again our Savior. We see what he suffered in our place. We see that which he has done. Or oh, we're brought on again. And we're given greater appreciation. And that's the message that the apostle gloried in. That is the message that is to be preached to the world, to all men, that they are lost, that they are dead, but God, by his grace, is awakening dead sinners to life in Christ, and we glory in the cross. And I pray that it would be the center of our lives. I pray that it would be the center of our life and witness as a church here, that we wouldn't lose sight of that, and that Christ would ever be exalted that God would truly be glorified and that we would be those who glory in the cross, who proclaim the cross in its fullness and that we wouldn't edit it because it's uncomfortable or because it's an offense, but we would proclaim it with confidence that this is the gospel of God and it's the power of God and it can save as much now as it ever has been able to do. And we can have confidence that the means that God has given will indeed be that which he blesses to prosper his work and to draw many to himself. Do you glory in the cross tonight? Is it that which is thrilling your heart, moving you? The Lord Jesus, crucified and yet risen. And one day, dear friends, we will see him. And the only wounds in heaven will be the wounds in his hands and in his feet and side. How we praise him for all that he's done and delight in our Saviour. Amen. Amen.